Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Be a part of the best pro wrestling podcast today by supporting the Going In Raw Patreon. You can enjoy access to the live taping of the show, exclusive merchandise, and patron-only episodes, and so much more. Support Going In Raw today. Click the link in the description. This is the glorious one, Bobby Roode, and you're watching Going In Raw. Hey, Brendo Steve here. And Larson. Hey, welcome to Going In Raw. View? <laughs> We're doing a review today of the Ric Flair 30 for 30 that ESPN produced. Nature uh, Boy. The Nature Boy that aired uh, this past uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, following uh, SmackDown. Following SmackDown, live. Exactly. Um, fascinating. Uh in terms of like factually, uh, chronologically, things that happened in his past, nothing we hadn't really heard before. No, I think uh, the WWE produced documentary on Ric Flair covered a lot of the same ground. I, I mean, they didn't go into uh, some of the aspects of his personal life that were dealt with in this film, um, and uh, obviously any sort of salacious content yeah. was maybe subtlety, subtly alluded to in mm-hmm. WWE's uh, uh, production, whereas in this... They dealt with it a bit more head-on. A tad more head-on. I mean, there was the the big quote that came out of this was he 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 gave his number of women slept with over the years at 10,000, which is a pretty big number. That's a very large number. Very large number. And what's when he said that? So I like I didn't think about it as like I wasn't like wait a second. Was there a period when he wasn't married? And I looked it up and I was like no. He was married the entire time. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Um, so, uh, yeah, because I don't remember who who had, like, 20,000. Was it Wilt? Wilt Chamberlain? Uh, yeah, maybe. Was it him? It was I, him. I mean, he said he slept with a lot of women. Somebody said so 20,000. As uh, 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 Lemmy from Motorhead, apparently he was, like, 8,000. <laughs> and then... Um, but Gene Simmons. I, I don't remember. I don't remember if with Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, who has the twenty thousand number mark? I think, and that was that, that's like you know the gold standard. Um, I say that's that. Four, I say that tongue in cheek. By that's the way, four hundred women a year for fifty years. Yeah, my math is right. But I don't remember if Wilt was married or not. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, we're both married. I take that very seriously. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> you know, um, but anyways, it was in in that regard to, to you know because you're on ESPN and not. The WWE productions, I don't really want to call them fluff pieces because they go in-depth sometimes. Yeah, they do. But when you're ESPN, 
you know, they, they those 30 for 30s have production value and they really do try to hit at the truth in a lot of, you know, they, they like to really go in depth into their subject. They are fantastic. Yeah, most, yeah, the 30 for 30 really series, uh, pretty much across the board, the ones that I've seen mm-hmm. have all been really good or fantastic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so Ric Flair is obviously, he is, I mean, in my book, probably the greatest pro wrestler of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know a lot before, you know, from the 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen a whole lot of Orville Brown matches, what you're saying. I understand right, that. Exactly. But definitely since... Uh, and I'm talking about America as well. Yeah, the, the, the era of wrestling that we've been exposed mm-hmm. to, yeah, sure. we've been alive pretty yeah. much. Yeah, Ric Flair is probably topping that Because you look at his in-ring performances and you look at his uh, promo skills, obviously. You look at all the ingredients that we appreciate in a professional wrestler and Ric Flair. His longevity, being able to do that for such a sustained period. Right, exactly. Or, I mean, he won his first championship in 81. Mm -hmm. And and for at least a decade, I would say that decade between that first win and when he left the WWF. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the top guy in NWA. Yeah. Untouched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dropped the belt off and off, but he was pretty much that whole time the right. top guy. One of the things that was uh, illustrated in this in this uh, documentary um, that was hammered home, and it, it was really hammered home by none other than Hulk Hogan, was how selfless Ric Flair was in terms of his selling and putting people over. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Hogan uh, uh, display as much humility yes. as he has. Yes. As he did in this film. He said Ric Flair was ten times the wrestler he was. And he said, uh, Ric Flair, he was like, Ric Flair had no problems losing, um, he said, and making me look much better than I actually was. Um, I think he referred to himself as having limited, I think he said the words limited ability. Yeah, he did. He said, I have uh, plan A, B, C, and D. He had four ways he could approach him. Tell me which one to do. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy to hear Hulk Hogan talk about himself like that. I mean, he he has to have some self-awareness these days. He understands, hey, look, his legacy is cemented. You know, um, I mean, recent, you know, issues aside, his legacy can even withstand that, you know, to, you know, mainly or mostly. Um, but uh, but the, the most fascinating theme throughout this was the dual identity of uh, Ric Flair, real yep. name Richard Fleer. Yes. Um, he was adopted, I believe, if I got the math right, uh, within a, a month of him being born. Um, and he was told about his adoption around the age of 10, mm-hmm. but as he got older, he became kind of a troublemaker. Yeah. He, he healed up in real life. Kind of, yeah. He, he got sent to a, a boarding school in his teens, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he, well, only, on the, he said on the, it was on the eve of Father's Day, his dad had to come down to the jailhouse. He was trying to buy alcohol with a fake ID. Right, yeah. You never hear about people getting caught and like what the consequences are for that. You know? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently, you go down to jail now. Uh, but his dad had to get him out of that. One thing that uh, one thing that especially permeates the entire uh, show for me was something that Triple Triple H said later on. Um, yeah, I think there's two quotes from different people that we really both right, right, right. On to. Yeah, Triple H said uh, one thing you have to understand about Rick is that he's a consummate liar, and so when Rick talks about his parents, because we talked about this off camera a little bit prior to us even starting the day, really, um, in that you have to wonder how his relationship with his family, with his parents, 
affected him growing up. And it seemed, you know, he would talk about them saying, you know, they only ever went to one of my matches. Yeah, they went to three of his professional matches. Right, yeah, three of them. They weren't into this, that, and the other thing. I would have loved to, and obviously I really doubt they're alive at this point. It would be interesting to know their take on on that. Because if you have a kid who's, you know, sometimes kids are just beyond reach at a certain point. You know, you reach out and you reach out. And I mean, I, I've I've heard this from my mom talking about her friends, um, that sometimes a, you know there, there's a, a parent can only do so much mm-hmm. before your kid is just out of reach. So I don't know if if his situation was such that his bridges were burned because of that, because of adoption issue issues, which we've talked we talked about yeah. prior to this as well. Yeah, like yeah. we both know people who've been adopted, yeah, and uh, and, and there, there's no. Issues there beyond oh, yeah 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 it's just a fact of my I life mean, yeah yeah I think a lot of that too depends on the family situation right exactly which you're adopted yeah because when I because when I first watched it I didn't watch the whole thing I stopped uh, with about 15 minutes left right before they were they were going to go to the talk about the uh, read mm-hmm. yeah um, and up to that point the quote that stuck with me was Shawn Michaels saying uh, I'll paraphrase that. Uh, Ric Flair didn't much like Richard Flair. Yes. But the problem was that Ric Flair was a myth. Yeah. He was a creation. Yeah. And so, in the end of the day, and there, there's countless times where Flair talks about, and other people talk about, when he wasn't on the road, and he wasn't performing, when he wasn't hanging out with the guys, when he was home, he was miserable. Probably because he had to face the fact that he was not just Ric Flair, he was Richard Flair as well. Yeah. And part of me kind of wondered, and this is speculation, because um, I like to delve into... Psychological, yeah, of course, yeah, it's fascinating. Why people behave the way people they are do. interesting. They really are. Um, as you mentioned, the adoption aspect of it, like, because he kind of blows off learning that he was adopted. Mm, yeah, not a huge deal. Yeah. Kind of said, yeah, they told me when I was a ten. I didn't really think much of it. But to, and even just on a subconscious level, to think, okay, I'm adopted, so in a sense, my birth parents rejected me, mm-hmm. and then you know, growing up, my parents, as he tells it, this is all through his pr- the prism of, of Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Um, my adoptive parents, in a, a sense, because they weren't didn't seem invested. Because he talked about how they were out of town all the time. Yeah, never went to or rarely went to his sporting events. Rarely seemed interested in what he was interested in in himself. That perhaps he felt, in a sense, rejected mm-hmm. by his adoptive parents as well. And he found solace in this creation that he made, yeah. where he didn't have to be Richard Fleer. He could be Rick Flair. He can be, you know, limousine riding, uh, kiss stealing, jet. Flying. Jet flying. <laughs> I still don't know the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, no, it, it is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> my, my point, my counter to that was, I mean, my, my thing is this. Number one, the, 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 the Triple H statement of he's a consummate liar makes me think. And here's the thing. Like, Rick, he never, there, you know, there are plenty of things in the, in the documentary he opened up about that. Yeah, he doesn't look great, you know, and he was fine opening up about it. He even said there was a quote, I forget what the quote is, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I'm never going to be known as the best father. I'm never going to be known as the best husband. I know I wasn't those things, but I might be able to be known as the best professional well, wrestler. I think right there that statement is kind of the, the dichotomy of Richard Fleer and Ric Flair. Right. Because despite knowing that he'll never be known as the best father or husband, it's like he takes some solace in knowing mm-hmm. that he still was Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, I was like, you know, if, if the dude, you know, 
if he could get away with oh, everything yeah. he was getting away with, I just think, I mean, you know, not, not, to, not to reach too much, but, you know, we're seeing these days, especially in the last couple of months, when, when people, when men especially, have power to do something and they can get away with it. They push the boundaries even more, yeah. You know. And so, uh, so it, you know, it is. It is just. It, it was a fascinating. It's a fascinating, absolutely fascinating case study. There's a couple other, sort of like almost devastating. I mean, beyond the Reed Flair stuff, which we'll get to. Yeah. But there was one statement that uh, his uh, first daughter um, mentioned, and she said, "You know, I got a lot of stuff from him. I just didn't get a lot of time with him. He would bring home dozens of cabbage patch yeah, kids for me. Cabbage patch dolls. Yeah. Right. But I never saw him. He yeah. never came to my games or anything. And it's like, I don't think that Ric Flair didn't love his kids. He obviously does. Well, his first wife said that, that he was mm-hmm. not a good husband, but he was always mm-hmm. a loving father. Yeah. He just wasn't there. Yeah, just wasn't know? there ever. Um, and, you know, the, the sad thing is, it's like, you know, he talks about, he talks about, well, you know, when you're the world champion, you have to be blah, blah, blah. But then he talks about, you know, when he's home, his first wife was talking about, yeah, well, you know, he'd be home and he'd say, I, I, I can't be here. I'm so bored. And he'd go a couple miles down the road to where his eventual second wife was hanging out with uh, Greg Valentine's Greg house. Greg Valentine's house. The exactly. hammer. Yeah, the hammer, exactly. And so, I mean, I, 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 it's, I think what's kind of odd to me, though, is that he ever was married in the first place. Yeah, that's an interesting move on his part. You know, because he kept on. It was He leapt from one to the next to the well, next. Also, he, he's asked by the director, um, you know, have you, why do you think you can't be monogamous? Mm-hmm. And, and he just said, just wasn't for me. He said he tried hard for one day Yeah, while he was married. Yeah. But, yeah, if, 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 you, can't, if, if, if you can't stop from sleeping with 10,000 women, <laughs> yeah. then... Just don't get married. I would have. I would have figured after the first wife, it would just be like, okay, well, I mean, I, 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 I just don't. I don't yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it's interesting, and it kind of uh, my only my only qualm with the the production in general was that I mean, you know, rightfully so. If I was interviewing Ric Flair, I'd probably be genuflecting too. I'd probably be like, oh my god, this is great. This is amazing. I feel like the director might have like prodded a little bit more of that because it's like, why are you even bothering the family? Like, why are you doing this? In the first place, I mean, maybe it's just that's what you know. That's what you do. You get married, you have kids, and yeah. you know. But I mean, it could be the the push and pull within him between yeah. Ric Flair and Ric Flair. There would be sometimes where his life he might have thought, okay, I'm going to try this. I think I can do it now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's fascinating though because he, you know, you look up his Wikipedia <coughs> and his uh, his marriages. And it's just, you know, it's just one to the next to the next to the next. Five times. The same year that he gets divorced is the same year he gets married. So we just hop from one to the next to the next. Um, uh, they interviewed all sorts of people. Um, Undertaker was interviewed. Out of character. That was weird. Yeah. Because his voice. Did you see what the director put on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the nicest person he's ever interviewed. He had snacks yeah. and coffee, Made coffee ready for the crew. Yeah. Yeah. His voice tripped me out because it was so much more soft and high-pitched. Yeah. I'm used to this. Yeah. Even in the WWE documentaries, he talks like this. And then the thing, he talks more like this. <laughs> Ric Flair's a good guy. He talks like Crisley almost. I wouldn't go that Not far. Not that far. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, one interesting quote that I pulled from it, too. We're good. I mean, this is kind of all over the map. Yeah, yeah, But uh, when they interviewed Baby Doll. Yeah. Remember just the other day, I was asking about, did they think it was real? Or did not think oh, yeah. it was real? And she said, back in the 80s, people, this was, 
people kind of knew, but they didn't know, you know, which and because they were they were illustrating. This was also a very interesting and it's something we've always kind of known. It was just articulated so well by this movie in that I think it was Arn or Tully who were both interviewed. Arn had his WWE 2K15 mm-hmm. shirt on, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and they said that NWA, WCW, NWA was for the men who want to see men. fights. Blue yeah. collar men who want to see fights, whereas WWF was for was for little kids. Um, I also thought it was interesting when they talked about um, Hogan and Flair and the potential of them going to WrestleMania yeah. together, and then of course it didn't happen. It was interesting that. Hogan really seemed geeked out for the possibility and disappointed. And Flair, off the bat, said, no, I didn't care. Yeah. He said, you know, we had already kind of ruined it because we had fought like ten times. At the house, house, house show. Yeah, I know. So, it, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to, to get a read on... It, it's kind of like during the Scott Hall podcast with Stone Cold when he said, I wasn't, quote, a mark for the belt, for the gold. Um, and it, so it's always kind of interesting to, to get somebody's take on that. And then he says, you know, we did it. He said, I fought him later plenty, plenty of times in WCW. WCW yeah. And then what did Triple H say to counter that? Oh, if, they, they were well past their prize. If it was game. 10 years earlier, yeah. it would have been something else. Um, I'll touch on something real quick. Yeah. Uh, kind of referencing something I, I, I talked about before. Um, I always got the sense that uh, despite Flair's uh, obvious uh, showmanship, mm-hmm. his gravitas, mm-hmm. that there were times, even early in his career, where, where his eyes betrayed a sense of sadness mm-hmm. that was kind of lurking within him. And I, you know, I think that only grew as he got older for various reasons. And obviously after uh, Reed's death, it make total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I thought this documentary did it... Like, a decent job of kind of laying out why. I mean, we can and we have tried to extrapolate why based on what they might have said in there, um, but ultimately, ultimately, it was just the, the 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 dichotomy with him within him of it seemed like Richard Fleer and whatever baggage he had growing up versus the construction of Ric Flair. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of that. I wish that they would have dived into that a little bit more. I'm not sure. sure how much he really can. I mean, he was he seemed to be as straightforward as he could with every question that they threw at him. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it, it did. You're, you're right. That is a fascinating one. It was interesting when he was on the, who was that? Sally Jesse Raphael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With her, uh, her gym suit, her yeah. track suit. And people were talking about it being fake, and he kind of dodged the question a little bit. Um, because at the end of the day, you're kind of like, I'm not going to say a fake champion necessarily, because obviously we know that there was a reason that he was the world champion. And yeah, there was metrics that he checked mm-hmm. off. You know, and yeah. if you're a boxing champ, because you just knocked the other person on the mat or mm-hmm. you score points with the judge, but yeah. those are you know criteria yeah. all the same. Yeah, but I mean, when you're when you're when you are living your life day to day as a mythical figure and not a real person, um, I mean the you know the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stuff that cracked me up was Sting talking about when they're on the plane. Oh yeah, and Shivani saying. Uh, <laughs> so the story is uh, apparently they're on a plane that's just full of wrestlers. That's mm-hmm. what I gathered. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they have these great little animated yeah, yeah, yeah. sections. Yeah, uh, Flair disappears to the restroom and reemerges with his dress shoes, dress socks, and his robe. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and then he opens his robe <laughs> and there's nothing underneath. Yeah. 
and uh, according to Shivani, he is fully engorged. <laughs> that always cracked me because I, I always figured he'd be a helicopter guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but if you you come out, you got like your full strength. That's pretty brutal, man. And what Stings Stings for said, I, uh, I don't know the exact quote, but more, more or less, you know, like I've never seen another wrestler's front area as much as I've seen Ric Flair. He said, yeah, no, I think he said something like, uh, I've never seen a man with his pants down as much as Ric Flair. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, that was funny. The, the story also with, uh, it's just, it illustrates, man, how JR had it right when he said, it's all, oh, it's all little pieces to the right? puzzle. Yeah. He says, you know, that it's, it's, and it, what cracked me up was when Ric Flair sort of prefaced it by saying, you know, we'd, we'd roll into these little shit towns. Well, you say Wichita. Wichita, Wichita is not, I mean, it's compared to New York City as a small town, but Wichita for Kansas is a large city. Well, yeah, I know, but who, you know, compared to, like, well, yeah, New York, obviously, but we don't know what, because, you know, you've heard about, like, the, the, the A team and the B team. Yeah. You know, if they're on an NWA WCW circuit, and they go through, you know, an area outside of Wichita, for example. Yeah, yeah. It might not be as as hustling and bustling, but for all we know, Wichita just didn't have a, a heavy nightlife. Entirely true. Back in the eighties, I mean, Charles Barkley used to clown Sacramento for its nightlife all the time, and San Antonio as well. I yeah. Think. Um, and so, you know, when you've gone through Chicago and some other places, Atlanta and Miami, exactly. Yeah. And no, I understand that. You come up to Wichita. Um. And so, you know, Jr. said there was one night, you know, we'd go to a Holiday Inn and there's literally, we go to the bar and there's 10 people there and he'd order 137 kamikazes yep. and he'd just start like, he'd get the tray and he'd start handing them out and all the girls would love him and he was like, why can't we just go to a place, order a couple of drinks, have some conversation and call it a night? And he said, I just realized that it's because he craved companionship you know he always needed companionship Which might be another reason why he continued to get married mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he always has somebody i mean it's if you go out one night let's say you go out on uh, in one of these little crap towns that he's talking about and you go to a bar there's two people there and you can't and for one night you can't at least internally you always know that back home i've got something i always have something back yeah. home yeah. you know um so it, you know, again, just really interesting stuff. That was that was the most interesting stuff there was. Um, they talked to to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah, um, Flair had, said that uh, Steamboat was his uh, favorite rival. Mm -hmm, yeah, I like when they talked about the stuff that would happen during the match. Like he was saying, yes, yeah, Steamboat would say Flair would just give a little a yeah, nod. And he knew what it meant, and he knew what it meant. And someone else said that they they never talked. Yeah, during the matches. That's crazy. Wrestling for an hour and not talking, yeah. or making, or not making obvious that they talked. Mm -hmm. They showed one shot where they were where they were locked up, mm -hmm. and both their arms were over their mouths. So they could have said something to each other. Yeah, yeah. But just the fact that the audience couldn't see them communicate. Given the number of times they wrestled, apparently on the house show circuit, anyways, I would imagine after the first, I would speculate that after the first couple dozen yeah you wouldn't need to talk anymore oh i know. You know i know so you know that's kind of interesting um they got into the reed stuff which was absolutely devastating now you mentioned i had mentioned the the comment uh, his daughter made about the cabbage patches you said that something david said really uh, uh, brought you down oh just that he was never home yeah you know and then i don't remember if it was david or one of his other children said you know yeah I'll, he would tell his kids yeah i'll be there for your basketball game, for example, and mm -hmm. he wouldn't show. And David said specifically, that's why I make sure my kids yes. never have to do that. I'm always there for them, yeah. you know. Um, 
Because I think the thing the thing that, that really sort of, especially when they started talking about Reed, that really, like, dragged me down and made me kind of emotional was, you know, when they would show the footage of Reed as, just like, a little kid and then Ric Flair, who's, like, Ric Flair, and he's being all daddy-daddy to him. And he really did seem to really love... I mean, you you have to think, dude, to have the amount of success that Ric Flair has had for for his passion... It's it's like uh, they interviewed uh, Michelle Beadle, mm-hmm. and she said Ric Flair simply just had that it factor that you can't put your finger on. It's, we call it charisma, yes. whatever you want to call it, natural intangibles, charisma. intangibles. And he had so much of it. Oh and yeah. It just, when they would go and close up on him on the TV, you know, back in the day, especially when he's delivering promos, it's like holy crap! Like you feel it. Yeah. You know, you really feel it. You have to have. I honestly think there part of that is just. A ton of, and it's again, it's intangible, but passion and heart. Like, I think that's a thing that could be, you know, maybe not scientifically measured, but it can be measured in, you know, in some degree. Yeah, it turns out people react to you. And so you see him with his kids, and there's like a palpable passion and love and energy there. And, um, and so to see the stuff with him and his kid, it's like, you know, as, as fathers ourselves, it like hits home exceptionally or especially hard. Because it's like, oh my god! Like I couldn't imagine not being there for my kids. You know, I, I don't know how somebody can 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 do that. Um, and so when David Flair said that, it's like, oh my god, yeah. But then they go into the the Reed Flair stuff, and and the they interview Charlotte, and I think I knew like a little while ago that she had taken up the mantle. Like I had known that Reed yeah, Flair yeah, yeah. was trying to take up the mantle, and then he died, and then Charlotte. I'd kind of heard along the way that she was going to kind of take up the mantle for him. For Reed, and yeah. that's a whole other thing right there because she has excelled so hardcore. Like, she has done so exceptionally well and exceeded anybody's expectations of her. She is such a natural oh, yeah. in the ring, on the mic, in the business. <clears throat> kind of interesting that somebody can succeed at that level while essentially carrying out somebody else's dream. Yeah, I know. And... And what that, what that is inside of her, you know, because it's like if I'm carrying out somebody's dream, I, I imagine my passion's not going to be a hundred percent with it. You know what I mean? In terms of the actual activities, potentially, yeah. But she's so damn good. I know. You know, like she's transcendently good. I know. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's 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 fascinating to me that somebody can do that. Probably uh, maybe the most heartbreaking uh, quote from Flair regarding the the, the Reed um, aspect of of the documentary was when the director asked him, you know, if there's anything you could say. Oh to my, now. yeah, I almost lost it then. Yeah. And then he said, uh, "Yeah, I say this every day." And he continues that he regrets being Reed's best friend rather than his father. Yeah, yeah. Because he talked earlier about... about, about he, Well, there's one story about where he came home and then Reed was 16 or so and was drinking with his neighbor. Yeah. And it's like, why are you just cool with your kid drinking? And he like laughs about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and he said he, when Reed was 21 and he's wanted to hang out with the boys and he's 21. You can't tell him no. no. Yeah, exactly. And then, But, I mean, you know, you got to figure. I wonder if that's one of those things where it's like... There's a big difference between going and getting drunk with people and doing black tar heroin. Like, there's a gulf of difference there. Oh, yes. But, you know, for the right, you know, if, you, if you're wired in that way, then I guess it's not. Because that's ultimately what Reed died from is an overdose from heroin. But, uh, 
but that stuff was that stuff was really 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 heavy. Um, I did appreciate when so they 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 talked about his retirement match with Shawn Michaels, of course, yeah, and how he said, and he mentions this in the in the book um, that you know he he absolutely hated the idea of retiring, and he said he woke up the next day. It's funny because in the book he describes it as you know the process of it happening was fantastic, even though he always had doubts in his mind. But then, you know, in the documentary and in the book, he mentioned, you know, he woke up the next day and he felt absolutely yeah, miserable. Sick, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, then he takes on the contract with TNA. Well, his retirement in WWE was forced upon him. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and JR said, well, you know, you know, people love Ric Flair, but the government wants Richard Flair to pay his taxes, you know, and he, he needed the money. But I, I think there there's a... It wasn't just that he needed the money. I think the guy just loved the spotlight. I think yeah. he loved being Ric Flair yeah, because if you if you retire that, then you're essentially dead. If that's what you've been living for all yeah, that time, yeah. If you define yourself by Ric Flair the performer, mm-hmm. then yeah. If that performer retires, yeah, then yeah, you have to come face to face with being Richard Flair. Yeah. Um, but the 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 way they treated his tenure in TNA was as if it was. Probably the worst embarrassment possible. Like they act like he did porn or something. That's what I tweeted out. Of yeah, the, you know, they showed the, the cage match and it was James Storm that pulled his pants mm-hmm, down. So yeah, his buttocks were exposed. Well, they showed James Storm breaking the the glass over his head and the beer bottle over his head, yeah. and and you know he was bleeding and stuff. They did. They showed a bunch of the thing that he would do when he would just start knocking his own head and blood would start coming down. Yeah. Um. And they they, they made it out as if that was. The lowest of the low. Exactly. But, I mean, there was some good stuff to be had there, you know? And he was still, even at that time, he was still Ric Flair. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like it was, you know, I mean, they they make it, they, they act like it's, uh, uh, what's his face? Who's the porno guy that they based Dirk Diggler off of? Oh, John Holmes. John Holmes. In his later days, he was doing uh, some gay porn. And that was, you know, to him, a low point because he couldn't get work doing the other stuff. And they made it seem like it was that. It's like, come on, it was just, like, he was still the legend. He was still Ric Flair. He was still the man and everything. And a lot of people on Twitter, since I, since I mentioned that, have pointed out, yeah, no, there was this part, there was this, and he did some good stuff. Like, they, they reformed basically the Four Horsemen yeah, as Fortune, fortune yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, with some of the top names there. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of silly. It's not like he was, you know, going to high school gymnasiums and, and killing himself. I mean, honestly, like, well, that spot, they showed a bit of a match between him and Foley where he got back dropped on the thumbtacks and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, just someone who's 60, 60 years old shouldn't be doing that probably, but, but it's Ric Flair and he yeah. was, you know, I, I, I would imagine that cause he was commanding a lot of money doing that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, TNA was paying him big money and you know, what, honestly, when I think of of what they were going for, I actually kind of think of Terry Funk. I yeah. think of a guy who cannot let yeah, go, yeah, yeah. and it's like, dude, you need to stop yeah. now. Yeah, um, before you know something really seriously right. bad happens. Because he'll do room. he'll do any old thing. Ric Flair was still commanding a lot of money doing what he was doing, and he was still Ric Flair. So. Um, so yeah, uh, that stuff was kind of interesting. I'm trying to think of other uh, other high or low points for me. Well, I think we covered the the, the basic story arc, yeah, pretty thoroughly. Yeah, um, I mean, it was you know, I I kind of also feel that 
this thing pro- like I, I could this could there could be a director's cut of this. It's like oh three, yeah, three oh, hours I know. long. I know. There's two interview sessions. The director said uh, before the movie proper started. Mm-hmm. Eighteen months apart, I want to say. Oh wow! So okay. I think it was in 2015, October 2015, and then February of this year. Oh wow! It's a matter okay. of months before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he you know had his health scare. Yeah. Um, the trip, Triple H had a lot of interesting things to say. I mean, the the most devastating thing, of course, was when he was talking about when Reed was trying to work with the WWE and they tested him, and his test came up positive for That's some when the for some stuff or the constant liar quote. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then he said, "Hey, Rick, this came up," and he's like, "Oh, that can't be." And he's like, "Well, it's here. The test doesn't lie. The test doesn't lie." And Flair would say, "Well, I asked Reed, and he said, no, it's not true.'" Yeah, and then Triple H said, "Okay, we can test him again because it's you." And I'm telling you now that we're going to test him so he knows that he's going to be tested. And then it comes back even worse than the first one. Um, so, And he even said he punctuated. And this is, this is again, one of the more interesting bits and, and, and sort of sums everything up. He says, Flair, in a lot of ways, I use it as an example of what not to do in the business to young and upcoming talent because you risk losing yourself in the end, and putting yourself, I think he said, in a precarious situation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as we all know, he's had, always had money problems, because his philosophy has always been, if you make money, you spend money. Well, because he wanted to live the lifestyle of Ric Flair, of the yeah. character. So, they, I mean, earlier in the movie, he talked about when he first started making really good money, mm-hmm. one of the first things he bought was a limousine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've never even, con- like, I would, that's, nobody, I've never ever thought, hey, you know, if I make it big, I really want to buy a limousine. Yeah. Like you rent a limousine at you know for special occasions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like would he have someone drive him around the country in a limousine? Right, I know exactly. I, I can't go to Target. Uh, I need my where's there my was, driver? There was one story where uh, the director asked him, you know, are you surprised you're still alive at this point? And he mm-hmm. said, yeah. He mm-hmm. said something like, did he say he went back and forth to Japan twice in three days? <laughs> or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Um, that he was drinking the whole time? The the story with him and the psychiatrist. Oh, that was, that was <laughs> really, really good. It was really interesting. Um, so, yeah, it's it's probably going to be running at Aussie Money yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and usually if you have uh, you know a cable service with on-demand stuff, it's usually ESPN's pretty good up, but mm-hmm. their 30 for 30s up pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it sure. should make its way to Netflix at some point. So mm-hmm. A lot of 30 for 30s are on there, too. Yeah, I imagine so. So definitely check, check it out. your local cable provider. Yeah. For future airings. This is not an advertisement for the show. It's no. Really interesting. That's just more public service on my part. Can you recommend it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, uh, that's it for now. Thanks for watching. Until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.